This morning, I hope that you'll turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading a passage of Scripture that is probably very well known. But the setting and the content of these words, I think, can be so very powerful to you and I, not only as Christians, but most especially as parents. So I want you to look at this passage of Scripture with me as we consider what are our responsibilities as parents. Let's pray together. Father, I am grateful that we can gather today in your house. And Lord, this is a special day as we honor our mothers. And Lord, we thank you for those very special people whom you put in our life that have given wisdom and guidance, but most especially love. And many of our mothers have set that Christ-like model that have helped us turn to you and know you as our personal Lord and Savior too. Father, as you know, it is such a very difficult world that we live in. And being a parent is one of the hardest roles that we face and play in life. And so, Father, I pray today that from your word you will speak to our hearts about being godly parents. And I just pray, Father, that everyone will receive a blessing from hearing the word of God and hearing the message. And, Lord, we will be challenged to follow you and to be Christ-like parents to our children. Bless us in these moments as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please follow as I read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Now, that's just a real neat way of putting you and your son and your grandsons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I have commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. Now listen to verse 7. And ye shall teach them diligently to your children, shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And ye shall bind them as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates." I've told you many times over the years that the hardest messages during the year for me to prepare are those messages for Mother's Day and Father's Day. And again, I'm going to be very personal with you, but I've got to be very honest with you, okay? There's much evidence over the years that I have been a poor husband and a poor father. I fail not only before your eyes, but most especially in my heart and in my mind. I know my many failures, and I cannot hide from them. You know, Friday morning in my daily reading of the Bible, I was reading Proverbs 19 and 20. Listen to verse 20, 27. And this is out of the Good News translation. The Lord gave us mind and conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. And folks, is that not the truth that you and I know what we have and we hadn't done? And I'm saying all that to say that so often on Mother's Day and Father's Day especially, I feel hypocritical standing before you bringing messages about those two important days 
telling you how you should live as a mother and as a wife or a father and husband. So I ask that you would please practice what the scriptures teach and follow the example of the Lord and pray for me and pray for each other. I began praying several weeks ago that God would give me a text to preach on from Mother's Day, and he did, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9. And as I began to look at Mother's Day and look at this text, I then asked God, God, give me some practical advice, preferably five or six points of wisdom that I can pass on to the church members. And folks, I got to admit, as I was praying about this, I was kind of asking God to make me a little bit like Dr. Phil on Mother's Day so that I could come and just give you some good wisdom, some good thoughts about, about being parents. I thought, well, I'll be happy I have a sermon. The church members will be happy when the sermon's over, and I can move on to the sermons on the resurrection that we've been preaching about in recent weeks. But God always gives us more than we ask for, and God speaks right to the point. And folks, here's the point that God impressed upon my heart. Before I can be the Christ-like kind of man and husband and father, before you as a Christ-like woman and wife and mother can be able to be a responsible parent, you and I must be in right relationship with God ourselves first. Look at what I discovered in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9. God does speak to the people of Israel about their role as parents and parental responsibilities. In verse 9, excuse me, in verse 7, God again says, And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. But before God gave these parental responsibilities, listen to how God instructed his people to be in right relationship with him. And folks, here's the point that I want to make today. Before you and I can be responsible Christian parents, we ourselves must be in right relationship with the Lord. Before we can lead our children to the Lord, we must be following and in the center of God's will. And so listen to these five points and instructions, I believe, that God gave to Israel and to every generation that follows. And these are going to be on the overhead. And again, I hope you'll just jot these down. I hope and pray that they're going to be helpful to you. They've certainly, they've certainly challenged me. Number one in this passage of Scripture, Moses tells the people, fear the Lord. In Deuteronomy 6, 2, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Now, folks, we're going to talk about this in the coming week. What does this mean, fear of the Lord? And please notice here that Moses, speaking on behalf of God, tells the parents, you are to fear the Lord and pass that fear of the Lord on to your children. Number two, Moses, speaking on God's behalf, says, obey the Lord. You know, we take obedience in a very light way anymore, don't we? And listen to what he says in verse 2, by keeping his statutes and commandments. In verse 3, hear, o, hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And folks, all this might seem, well, this is just stuff in the Old Testament. That's when people were living under the law. Well, folks, listen to what Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen: If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And listen to what he says in verses 21 to 24, again in John 14. 
He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There's always somebody in the crowd who's going to ask a question. Well, listen to what Judas asked. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him. Now listen to this. If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Think about this for just a moment. When we are obedient to the Lord Jesus, we express our love to him. And not only do we express our love to him, God begins to manifest himself to us in a deeper and deeper way. If you want to know more about God, just simply obey him. And it will bring more revelation of who God is. And listen to what Jesus says. The Father and I will come and make our home in you. Folks, you know, you and I know that the Holy Spirit of God has been sent to dwell within us and to be with us. But God promises to manifest himself and come and dwell in us. Verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. Folks, one of the true tests to know if we love God is to keep his commandment. That's what the Old Testament, that's what the Lord Jesus himself said. The third thing that this passage of Scripture teaches that we are to have no other gods but the Lord. Again, look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We're not to have any other gods before the Lord. How many gods do we have in our life? I mean, even as Christians, what is taking the place of priority in our life over God? The fourth thing that the passage says, Deuteronomy 6, 5, how are we to love the Lord? Listen to this. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Can we truly say that? But folks, listen to this. After we've done these four things, after we've come to a point where we fear the Lord, where we obey the Lord, where we have no other gods beside him, when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might, then after we ourselves are in right relationship and walk with God, look what we can do. We can teach our children the things of God diligently. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And folks, one of the reasons I feel that you and I, and again, I include myself, is the reason that we're not passing these things of God on to our children is because we aren't walking with him ourselves. Hear that not as a criticism. Hear that as a challenge from the word of God, from the spirit of God. Folks, you and I have got to get our house in order before we can begin to teach our children diligently the things of God. Before you and I can model Christ before our children, we must become a Christ-like man, a Christ-like husband, a Christ-like father, a Christ-like woman and wife and mother. And folks, here's what this passage is talking about. In order to lead our children to the Lord Jesus, we must surrender all that we are to God and Christ. And I hope someone is asking this question perhaps in your heart and mind. How seriously should we take this command to teach our children about God? I believe that we are living in a day when we put off on somebody else our own responsibilities. Folks, who first taught children about God? I'd never thought about that before. Who first taught children about God? 
Was it a pastor? Was it a youth minister or a Sunday school teacher? Was it the church? This past week, as I was listening to Christian radio one day, and I forget which one of the programs, this sounds like something that might have been on focus on the family, but a, a young mother was being interviewed, and she was talking about how we as parents are given the responsibility to teach the things of God to our children. And she used this story. She said, who is the first people who taught children about God? Parents. Parents. And she went on to talk about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first man and woman in the Bible, the first mom and dad in the Bible, taught their children about God. How do we know that? Look at Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now, this is a sad story because if you know this story, you know that, that Cain slew his brother Abel. But listen to this. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man by the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, and his countenance fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? Now again, perhaps, folks, this is a bad illustration, because Cain himself needed to get right with God before he went to worship God. But how did Abel and Cain know to bring an offering to God? I believe it is because Adam and Eve, their mother and father, taught them that God was worthy of worship. I'm sure that they told Cain and Abel the whole story, that God had made them, God was in full fellowship with them, God would come to them in the garden and they would fellowship with him, but Satan also came and tempted them and they fell to Satan's allurement and they sinned against God. And God came wanting to fellowship with them in the garden, but they had run and hid themselves. But God in his mercy came to them and gave them unconditional love. That's the story we tell our children, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Cain and Abel came to worship God because their parents had led them to that. Parents, have we led our children to understand the worthiness of God to be worshipped? Folks, it is such a, a, a strong thing to think about. Surely Cain and Abel had been influenced to bring an offering to God because of the teaching of their parents. Satan always tries, though, to disrupt and distort the teachings about God. And so Cain and pride brought an offering to boast of himself, but Abel and humility offered sacrifice. But folks, there's another reason that you and I need to, need to be sharing of Christ with our children. As history develops and God reveals himself to the nation of Israel, they begin to worship God as a nation. Now folks, think about this for just a second. It was God's plan that Israel become a nation that would serve him and witness to the world. Let me give you some scripture passages. Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. 
Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice, as the word obey again, and keep my covenant, you shall be my own possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be. This was God's design for the nation. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Psalms 33:12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Proverbs 34, 14:34 says, and I'm going to be reading this out of the Good News Bible, Righteousness makes a nation great. Sin is a disgrace to any nation. Folks, not only as parents do we need to share the love of God and the word of God with our children, but as a nation. This, this opens a big can of worms, but as a nation, are we forsaking God and generations are not taught about the love and salvation of Christ? How many of us are daily praying for our nation? I gripe about it a whole lot, and I know that. But how many of us are praying that we might have revival in our nation? As a nation, is godliness and spirituality and morality being rejected and replaced by humanism and political correctness and anything goes? As a nation, we truly need revival and a spiritual awakening. But folks, where will this begin And I believe that spiritual awakening in the United States will begin first in my heart and your heart as husbands and wives, as men, as women, as mothers and fathers. The second place that it will happen, spiritual awakening will happen in our homes. Have you ever heard that expression, as goes the home, so goes the nation? Would you not agree with that? And would you not say that in today's world, we are no longer worshiping God and honoring God and sharing Christ in the home? And folks, we cannot leave our church out in our churches. Are we unashamedly proclaiming the good news of Christ as being the only way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father? Folks, can our church, can my life, your life, have an influence in the world today? Listen to Acts 17, 6. And quickly, the background of this, uh, Paul and Silas had been preaching, and they'd been on many missionary tours, and everywhere they went, there, was, there were people who rejected the gospel and who rejected Paul and others. And in this particular place in the Macedonian area, Paul and the early church leaders are brought before a crowd that is trying to get them in trouble. But here's the way they're described. These men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. Are we making a difference in the world? Not only as a church, are we making a difference as a home in our neighborhood? Are we making a difference as individuals? And folks, I believe it goes back. Are we making a commitment to the Lord Jesus? Are we walking with him ourselves? And look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. These are the verses of Scripture that you know well. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. And we might add, to present your your homes, to present your marriages, to present your families, to present your churches as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And listen to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I, I don't know a lot about children's toys anymore, uh, but I've gone to several homes and visited, and the children have the Transformers. 
Uh, now I'm getting an understanding that where it's, it's, a, it's a child's toy and, and the man turns into like a superman. And, you know, I think that's a picture for we who are Christians. We underestimate the power of Jesus Christ working in our hearts and lives, in our homes, in our families, and in our churches. And truly, God can transform us into people who will change our world. It is not too late if the church of Jesus Christ stands up, if the homes that are Christian homes really seek to fear God and to obey Him. And there's one final question that I want to ask this morning, and I'll close. Can one person make a difference? Can one mother, and I know that there are single moms that are here in the church, can one mother, one father, and even one child make a difference? And the answer to that question is yes. Last Sunday afternoon, I went to South Boston to make a visit at the hospital there. And there's a church of God on 501 as you approach the hospital. And they always have a big church sign out front. And I always love to uh, read the messages there. This was a message on that sign last week. The mother's heart is the children's classroom. Let me read that again. The mother's heart is the children's classroom. And folks, as parents, what's in our heart will be revealed not only to our children, but to the entire world. What are they seeing in my heart and in your heart? Listen again from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. This is a, just a beautiful passage of Scripture. Peter and John have been preaching and teaching about the Lord Jesus They've even been doing miracles, and the Jewish leaders have gotten real upset, threatening them, eventually beating them. But this is the impression that they get of Peter and John. Listen to this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they wondered, and look at this last phrase, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Let me ask you something about my life and your life, about our homes do people recognize that we've been with Jesus? Do they know that we serve Him? Do our spouses, do our children, do our grandchildren, do our extended family, do our fellow church members, do our neighbors, do our co-workers, do our circle of friends, do they recognize that we've been with Jesus? Folks, I believe that is the beginning point for our responsibility as Christian parents. And Michelle, may I get you to go back at the very beginning where we talked about God's instructions to Israel and every generation of followers. Let me mention again these five things that I believe are our responsibilities as Christian parents. And they begin, first of all, in our hearts. Number one, we are to fear the Lord and pass it on. When we start studying what fearing the Lord means... I think it's going to connect because it's so beautiful. It's not just a fear that God is going to take us out. Number two, we are to obey the Lord. Let me ask you something. Outside of the church, how do we act? Is our prime purpose to obey the Lord? Number three, how many gods do we have in our hearts and lives? God says there shouldn't be room in your heart for any other God but me because there are truly no other gods but Him. Number four, how do we love the Lord? Do we love the Lord? If you'll go ahead to the next one, Michelle. Do we love the Lord with all 
our heart, our soul, and our might. When we get those four things right, guess what we can then do? We can teach our children the things of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for being a God who, who's in love with us. And I thank you that you've proven your great love for us by sending your very own Son to give himself on the cross that we might know eternal life and forgiveness of sin. Father, I thank you. You have blessed us with children and grandchildren. You blessed us with husbands and wives. You've just blessed us, period. Lord, help us to be a blessing in the work of your kingdom. Lord, help us to know that it does make a difference in how we live and how we walk with you. And Father, I pray for myself and for any other parents that so often feel like failures, not only as, as parents, but Lord, also as spouses. Lord, I pray for strength that we will fear you we will obey you. We'll have no other gods before you. And we will love you with all our heart, our soul, and our might. And then, Lord, we would begin to pass all these things on to our children. Father, I pray for our homes. I pray for marriages. I pray, Lord, for single parents that you would bless them. And I pray, Father, that in unison we would give you praise and honor that you are so worthy of. In these moments of invitation, I just pray that you will bless and lead and that your will would be done. In Jesus' name.